Hello everyone, welcome back to Chit Chat and Chat. Hey Ritu and Mala, how are you guys doing? How was your weekend? Oh, it was good. It was very quiet, surprisingly. So I had a nice, quiet, hot weekend in Los Angeles. So I had gone to New Jersey and it was really nice. The main reason that I went was my cousin's daughter, her name is Ria Jen, was going to do her Arangitram. Which is the Paratnatyam um, dance recital when they graduate from a student to be able to perform solo on the stage, right? And uh, her teacher is Madhavi Mehta. They put on a fantastic show. I mean, it was just gorgeous. It was so good. And the nice thing that I got out of it, of course, for my niece, she did a beautiful job. I mean, dancing solid for so many hours and to look gorgeous and everything. But it was the passion, dedication, and that really just comes from a place within to keep the culture going. When you look at it and think about it, these kids are born and brought up here. They have really very limited contact with India. But to want to continue a classical form of an art that is so ancient in India, right? Not the Bollywood dancing and the hip hop Indian fusion-y stuff, but the actual real art that was there so many hundreds of years ago, that was impressive. So I got to give a big shout out to all these kids who are putting their heart and soul into keeping the culture alive. It's so nice to see it. And the one thing her teacher said when she went on stage, Rhea does not use social media, which is amazing for a 16, 17 year old, right? She does little TikTok videos of her dances maybe or whatever, no Instagram, no Facebook, because it takes away so much time from other things that one can do. Wow. Impressive. Super. Um, that is. Yeah. In this day and age to hear that. Exactly. Mala, I think Anisha did an Arangit's room too, right? Yeah. Yeah. She did. Brings back memories as you're talking about all of this. Um, and you're so right. She started um, because it was my dream. I love dance and I never got a chance to do it. So it was kind of like I wanted her to fulfill my passion. So in the beginning, she was fine. Then in the middle, typical teenage phase, I don't want to go. I don't want to get up in the morning. But then when she got past that stage and she finished and, you know, musicians came from India. We had like South Indian food. Bharat Natyam, it's strenuous uh, performance that they have to do. Our teacher was very strict. So it's just so many lessons that she would teach. I'll see Anisha dance and yeah, she's naturally graceful if she's teaching me a step. And then I'm like, I don't look like you. What am I doing different? You know, because there's just something about the professional training that they've had that makes it look so much better. Again, big shout out to all boys and girls out there learning any form of music, dance, whatever it is. And if it's Indian or non-Indian, it doesn't really matter, but just the passion, just the dedication. Pursuing it. Yeah. Pursuing it, right? By the way, ladies, did you hear about Prime Minister Modi was in the White House? Yeah, yeah. yeah it was big news this weekend, days ago or something. I know a couple of people who had gone. I don't know if you got to hear the speech. I listened to most of the speech that he did at Congress, then um, some of the little tidbits of the speeches at the White House and stuff. I heard the dinner one, he would speak in Hindi, actually should Hindi, like really mm -hmm. 
authentic Hindi, and then the translation would happen in English. President Biden spoke in English, then the translation was done in Shud Hindi as well. I think so. One in Congress was him completely speaking in English. He got lots of standing ovations. Yeah. And the fact that America and India, you know, joining hands together, yeah. we need more representation of our Indian community, South mm-hmm. Asian community, in the government, American government, whether it's the House representative, even you know, mayor, local positions or offices. So that leads us into our next guest, Aditya Pai. He is our guest and he will be talking about his journey in politics and uh, he's running for Congress. Hi, Aditya. How are you? I'm good. How are you guys? Great to be here. We are doing well. We're doing well. Um, glad to have you on our podcast. Aditya, tell us briefly a little bit about yourself, your background, um, your, you know, where you grew up, and what is the position that you're running for? I was born in Bombay in, in India and moved here when I was eight and three quarters years old. <laughs> and I, I say that because it was it was really significant timing because I when I when we moved, I had just finished school there. And so I just finished my summer vacation. And then when I came here late May, early June, and the summer vacation was just starting here. So I began my time in the United States with six months straight off, which for, <laughs> uh, which for a kid is like, uh, you know, a dream. And by the end, I was so bored that I just couldn't, you know, couldn't wait to start uh, fourth grade. You know, grew up in, in Southern California in Orange County pretty much after that. And I'm running for Congress. Uh, so I'm running for a U.S. House seat in a brand, brand new district, uh, California's 45th, which is North Orange County, Cerritos and Artesia, including Little India, as you all know. Um, and so part of what makes me qualified for that has nothing to do with my resume. My childhood, which was literally 50% in India and 50% here in Orange County. And Artesia was so significant in particular for me because for my family, and I'm an only child, it was just a little piece of of home and it helped us transition immensely uh, when we got here. And this district is 30% foreign born, even just in terms of the registered voters, and it's actually majority minority and incredibly young. It's 27% under 35. And as you know, lots of South Asians, lots of Asian Americans in general. And so, you know, part of the reason I decided to run is I just feel that our community deserves a voice. We currently do not have a single South Asian member of Congress from Southern California. And Little India has never had an Indian representative. So I hope to be the first. It's, it's great that you're actually taking the plunge you know, will be a voice for the South Asian community and the community in general. I was just wondering, Aditya, was there anyone in particular or an incident um, that got you interested in politics? Yes, certainly many. So I wasn't very political for most of my life. I was always interested in service. So when I, you know, when we were in in Bombay, I um, lived with my grandparents early in my life and then with my parents and walked through a slum on my way to school every day. And so I was always really sensitive to inequality. I was always really sensitive to poverty and kids who weren't as lucky as I was. And I always felt very lucky as a kid. I would talk, I would be friends with a lot of these kids and I'd play with them and play cricket with a lot of them. You know, I just felt like not everybody had the good fortune that I had. 
um, in terms of opportunities, education, or just, you know, just family structure. And um, it always bothered me. You know, I would always see them and I would ask her, you know, where their where their parents and, and why isn't somebody looking, looking after them uh, better? So I always had that sense and that always really, really bothered me. When we moved to Orange County, it was just uh, struck me really forcefully how spectacularly wealthy Orange County is. I mean, it's one of the wealthiest places, not just in California and the United States. That contrast, I mean, that really shaped, I think, the kind of person I became. And as I got into high school, I started to reconnect with that and started volunteering with the Orange County Red Cross. Like a good, like a good immigrant kid just wanted something on my college application. And so I just started volunteering, but I ended up um, surprisingly loving it and did it for three years and was a youth organizer in the youth services department of uh, the Red Cross. And I loved it. I loved the service work and it took me to parts of Orange County that I would have never seen otherwise. Most kids never see in Orange County growing up, places that are much less privileged. I think for me, that was really the beginning. Politics kind of happened by accident. I really wanted to be an athlete. So that was still that was still my first choice. It was, it was cricket and then basketball and then football. I kind of lucked onto the debate team. And that was the first time that I was just naturally good at something. And I never experienced that before. I'd never just tried something and just been instantly good at it without trying very hard. That sort of happened. And then my senior year of high school, Barack Obama you know, who you may have heard of, uh, <laughs> ran for, oh, yeah. <laughs> ran for, uh, ran for president. And I remember what I volunteered for him. I volunteered for the democratic party of Orange County. I volunteered for Suki Kang, you know, putting up lawn signs for him. He was the first Korean mayor, not just of Irvine, but of any major American city. I remember watching, uh, president Obama get elected. I was at the triangle in Costa Mesa. I remember watching his acceptance speech, like so many Americans. I mean, it just made me feel that anything was possible. The idea that um, somebody who is an immigrant and is multilingual and, you know, I grew up speaking Spanish and English in school and, and Hindi and Marathi at home and obviously wasn't born in this country, but I never felt like that was a barrier. And I think that was a significant part because of the time that I that I grew up in. And then that plus kind of the service work I did and I really enjoyed the spoken and written word. I mean, I just really loved language always as, as long as I can remember. There were very few things that combined those three things. I mean, the ability to use language to help people, uh, which is really how I see the work of a lawyer as well as a legislator. And um, to do it, you know, on a scale where you have the power to help not just a few people, but a lot of people. I think once I realized that, I must have been 16, um, but it was all sort of driven by this purpose, which is public service. And that's always been kind of my North Star. I find that I'm the best version of myself. I find that I'm happy. I find that I have a lot of joy in my life. And whenever I've deviated from that, I've been absolutely miserable <laughs> and uh, and depressed. And so, uh, you know, I just learned from experience. And, you know, it's like nobody's nobody peaks in terms of wisdom at 31. And so... I can't say I'm particularly wise, but I'm definitely wiser than I was before. And just through trial and error, a kind of come back to center, which for me is, you know, that I really want to do public service. Well, um, Aditya, since you were in Red Cross, you did debate, you did a lot of service and everything. So your parents probably already saw a little bit of 
inclination or you know your direction of towards politics what was their reaction i i feel i had a really atypical experience for a south asian kid in this country and so i never felt any pressure to be a doctor or an engineer even though a lot of people in my family are doctors or scientists or engineers and i never had anything like that and so the only the only requirement was really that you have to be you have to do something and doing nothing is not an option do it as well as you can productivity was a requirement excellence was a requirement but beyond that there were no there's absolutely no pressure in fact i had all the freedom in the world to experiment and you know be as american as i wanted to be and that i think is sort of like how i stumbled upon this because i'm the first lawyer in my family no one's ever even considered uh, politics what are the requirements to run for office there are surprisingly few actual legal requirements you have to be a united states citizen you have to be to run for congress a citizen of the state in which you're running you actually don't even have to live in the district and I live in our district. I live in Brea and I spend a lot of time in Artesia and Cerritos and other places. So our incumbent actually does not even live in this district. She is not legally required to. Politically, I think that's a huge problem and totally unacceptable and we can we can chat about that and but legally that's there's not a requirement. You do have to be a United States citizen for 7 years. The first year that I was even legally qualified to serve would have been 2020. Sorry, I was going to say how about background checks, education, anything like that required? Minimum requirement? Nope, absolutely not. Not legally. The constitution is that we're all political equals in this country. And so when we declared independence from the British, much like India, we tried to establish our own values. And one of those values was that there there are no inherited titles and there are no requirements to serve in office because we're a government of the people by the people for the people that mm-hmm. famous line government derives its legitimacy from the consent of the governed you go to washington and make laws and then to to go back and become a private citizen and to live under the laws that you have passed and so one of the reasons i'm running is actually i think we've lost sight of that that politics is not supposed to be a career politics is supposed to be a calling Mm-hmm. You're not supposed to go there and and do it for 40 and 50 years and die in office, which is what we see many people doing at the moment mm-hmm. of both political parties. Uh you're supposed to go there and serve and then you're supposed to go do something else. And the only thing that makes you qualified is that the people elected you. Mm-hmm. And there are some good consequences to that and there are some bad consequences because as we've seen sometimes people get elected who really shouldn't be there. You know, we have a former president now who might run for president and could be elected president twice indicted twice impeached from a federal prison there's nothing in the constitution that says somebody who is a convicted felon sitting in a federal prison cannot be elected president and serve as president that is where some of some of this has negative consequences and we need amendments and reform and to close some of these loopholes but the positive side of it is that you know i'm young and you know some people may not take me seriously and that's okay because as long as i can convince 50% plus 1 of the residents who live here and vote here that i'm going to serve them better than anybody else you know our mission is literally inspire public service that is what i say everywhere and so it says on our website and all of our branding and messaging is is around that because that's truly my goal is that i was inspired to public service and i'm really just running to inspire everybody to do public service in whatever way is authentic to them that's different for every single person So Aditya now that you've decided to run the office what are some steps you have to do uh, you have to get the word out you have to let people know about you campaigning and everything uh you have to raise a lot of money 
So that's the first hurdle, really. And I don't think people realize that. And, and it's certainly not in the South Asian communities. If you're not already famous, the only way people are going to know who you are is you have to raise money and you have to spend it on advertising, period. I mean, that's what you have to do because there's 420,000 registered voters in this district. I'm going to meet a, a lot of them. Um, I intend to knock on tens of thousands of doors personally. We've already started knocking on doors, but I can't, I can't meet hundreds of thousands of people. I can meet tens of thousands of people. And so the only way that this is successful is you have to scale it like any startup. You have to raise, you have to raise money and then you have to build a team. The team has to deploy those resources in a smart way so that enough people uh, know about me and, and what I stand for and what our campaign stands for that we win. I'm basically a startup CEO. And so we're doing really well. You know, at the end of the day, the product is me. And so I'm constantly doing R&D to just try to improve, you know, the quality of public service that I provide. And, um, you know, the first hurdle to doing all of that is raising money. So, you know, so far, at least we've done a really good job with that. We've, you know, we raised 100K in our first month, which is really hard work. That's what kind of unlocked conversations that I've had with um, several members of Congress, including most of the Indian American uh, members of the House, just trying to do the best job we can, um, trying to understand and represent and serve this community. I volunteered with a couple of my friends back when Hillary Clinton was running against Donald Trump and we were doing the phone bank. You have to be thick skinned. I mean, we got some people that were pretty decent and, you know, sure. And then we got some very rude people and, you know, it takes a lot for you not to reply back or to be just as, as rude and, you know, hang up the phone or say something not very unsavory, but I can only imagine the kind of pushback from the other side. They're not even sure. Listen, um, I was like, okay, man, these politicians mm. people running have to have really thick skin. You know, you really have to be strong to stand up to that and not let it affect you, you know, still continue working in the direction that you're taking. My gosh, that takes a different kind of individual. Yeah. I mean, I, I kind of knew what I was signing up for because I, I worked on a, a governor's race in Montana in 2012 uh, for Steve Bullock, who um, is a mentor and you know someone I admire a lot. And you know, working for Democrats in super red states, and I grew up in Orange County at a time when it was very conservative. I mean, for me, talking to somebody who disagrees with me politically is like breathing air and drinking water. I mean, I, I've literally been doing I've been doing it all my life. I used to, I was protesting Prop 8 because I have an uncle who I care about dearly who is gay and, you know, came here from India in part because India was so hostile to um, LGBTQ uh, plus people. And so I'm fiercely protective of uh, the LGBT community. And so I was, you know, protesting Prop 8 as a high school student. And man, I got so much shit in Irvine for doing that because at, at that time it was a much more conservative place than it is today. And so it's not that I developed a thick skin. I, so it does affect me, but it doesn't infect me. I don't uh, take on the disease. I have a vaccine, so to speak, um, which is purpose. You know, I have a clear purpose. That's part of public service. Unfortunately, a part of what it means to be a public servant is, is that there's a certain element of it that is necessarily abusive. And that's just the beginning. I mean, there's so much shade that's thrown, especially at young candidates, especially at immigrant candidates, especially at people of color, at, at women, at anybody who doesn't um, fit the mold of what we think of as, oh, this is a leader. 
you know, that's, that's a part of the process. And it's almost a mantra for me because it's about inspiration, especially inspiring the next generation. It's about public life. You know, private life is really important. Family, work, your business, your personal life. Everybody prioritizes that. They should. But there is this thing called public life. Public schools, public parks, public libraries, public infrastructure, public health care, public issues. And that really matters. And I want to get us back to that and understanding that matters and investing in that in the same way that we invest in the private sector and service. And for me, service is not transactional. It is, you know, I define it for service as one soul honoring its counterpoint in another. And so it is a relationship of equality. I'm a public servant, but I don't see myself as above anybody, but I also don't see myself as below anybody. And I'm not going to be subservient and I'm not going to take shit from people who deserve to uh, to uh, be told that they're they're messing up. You know, I, was, I had this really funny conversation with, a, with my Uber driver yesterday where she is also a waitress um, and she was saying that, you know, they're, they're taught like the customer is always right. And, and we were talking about how that is one of the, the dumbest ideas that has ever been expressed in the history of humankind. Because, of course, we all know the customer isn't always right. And it's not always about the customer, because if you just always put the customer first, you're going to start losing talent. If you want to hire and retain good talent, you have to respect them. You have to treat them well. And sometimes you have to say, like, hey, like we're just going to lose that person, but it's okay because you're important, too, and you also matter. So Aditya, tell us, why is it important for us to have representation in Congress? Well, a couple of reasons. Um, one is, you know, there's this famous saying in politics that if you don't have a seat at the table, you're probably on the menu. And and what that means is that if you don't have a say in the decisions that are made, you know, every decision, there are winners and losers. And the South Asian community or immigrant communities writ large are definitely going to be the losers if we don't have immigrants in Congress, if we don't have people in Congress who look like and represent the communities that they serve. I mean, I think the deeper reason also is that you know, our government's not perfect. And sometimes things get stuck in the bureaucracy. And at least half a congressman's job or a congressperson's job is constituent services. And there are offices, you know, dedicated staff in the district, in every congressional district. And their job is to serve you. Can you give us examples of like why I would go to my congressperson? If you have applied for a passport and it's stuck in the State Department and you have a flight tomorrow, you can't miss it and you can't reschedule it and you need to get it expedited, your member of Congress can help you with that. If you have a senior citizen in your family who's struggling to track down a Social Security check or get the benefits that they have earned from Medicare, you know, a congressperson can help you with that. If you have a kid uh, with disabilities in public school and they're not getting the accommodation that they need, that is more of a state and local issue, but you're congressperson, your state senator, your school board member is supposed to help you with those things. The job of a public servant really is to solve problems and to help people. However, in a situation like that, even if it's somebody not from your district, it's just helpful to have a friend in Congress. I think that that's uh, not that well understood. It's a really big part of why I'm doing this is because I really don't see see my community getting the help that that we need in every part of this district. And so I, I really enjoy helping people. That's why I'm doing this. And, um, you know, I think it's really important to get involved to make sure that um, when you do need help, uh, there's a person there who's looking out for you.
What message would you like to send out to our South Asian? Well, the immediate thing is, you know, we're doing service events as part of the campaign because I think every candidate should do that. And so we're actually partnering with Sahas for Cause. You know, the broader thing is I would love for people to to reach out and to get involved or even just to chat. I mean, I just, for me, this is coming from a place of joy. You know, hopefully bring bring every community in our district and see 45 together. You know, especially, especially right now, I think there's so many forces of division. I think um, just coming together, having a good time and, you know, helping people that need help, I think uh, that, that's really my message. Thank you, Aditya, for joining us. We would love to maybe have future conversations as the campaign progresses and um, we get closer to election time, obviously, we'll maybe have you on again and see, you know, what other ways people can help out and volunteer, which is a huge part of any campaign, I'm assuming, right? The volunteering and just getting people excited about the election. Absolutely. And thank you, guys. Um, it's such a cool podcast. And I just I just love the authenticity of the conversations you guys, uh, you guys facilitate here. So we need, we need a lot more of that. So I really appreciate <laughs> you doing that. Well, that was really interesting getting to hear from Aditya and I learned a lot, especially about politics. You know, first of all, how easy it is to get into politics. And secondly, how we should really be maximizing the tools that we have that we don't know about regarding politics and our politicians. Yeah, and they work for us. That's their job. They're supposed to work for us. Right. But when we have things that we need, that's something we learned on this podcast is you can reach out to your congressman. A lot of times we just have absolutely no idea that this is available to us. It's so important for any, before any election to understand who you're voting for, mm -hmm. do the best job. Like you said, it doesn't take much to elect someone who will <laughs> sit there on his ass and do nothing Yeah, yeah. or her ass and do nothing. But we, we want someone that will actually really care. We were discussing this uh, before the podcast that, you know, we need to have this conversation at home, you know, start at home, talk, because I know while growing up, I don't think we ever talked about the politics, whether India or in American politics, but we should start discussing with our children, grandchildren too, yeah. you know, get them a little familiar. Okay, you know, it's important to know who your officers are. You know, exactly. who your uh, politician parties are, um, you know, discuss uh, what's going on. Um, yeah. I mean, all over the world, too, not just Indian and not just American, but just, you know, like have a one hour or half hour conversation once a week or something. What are your views on your current events? What do you think about this war? Right. What do you think about whatever, you know, um, right. it's important to get the kids to start thinking in that direction. So they know how to vote. I think it's so important. Our, our community especially votes. And why it's there. important to vote. Yeah, yeah, why it's important to vote. So, so many people just think, oh, you know, it's not going to affect me really, These some of these policies or whatever. It, it's, it's not something I'm concerned about. Well, I think everybody needs to be concerned about. And it's really funny that when they voted, I remember one time they had a general election in England. My mom voted but my dad voted Labour. You know, my dad tried to convince my mom that no, 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 you should vote Labour Party and stuff. 
And my mom was like, no, this is my vote and I will vote where I believe us. <laughs> and so within our household, we had two opposing parties, <laughs> but it's okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thing. It's okay. It, it's a personal thing. So, but it's important to vote. That's the exactly. most important thing. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It is so important to vote. Um, so I, I just feel like, you know, how like we've learned to incorporate gym and health into our life. And then we also do a lot of charity work, or most of us try to incorporate that now into our daily lives. I think we should also do uh, political volunteering and a lot more involvement in politics because it's so important. I, you know, what I learned is also local politics is important too. People always just worry about presidential stuff, but you need to pay attention to your city and town politicians and not just think that they're small elections. Those are the ones actually that are more important. because Absolutely. Exactly. Yeah. I remember Prop 8 was one that mm -hmm. a lot of us knew about and voted for. So there are a lot of small little ones that, you know, don't think it would affect us, but we need to know all of them, yeah. like you said. I think maybe um, in the future, we'll have another conversation about elections closer to next year's election, and when we will bring it up again. People fought a lot for us to get to vote, and it's just, it would be sad if you didn't use, take that advantage that you have or the privilege. Our civic duty. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Let's not take that voting right lightly. We have a really fragile democracy. It can change very quickly. We need so. to have our voices heard. Well, we hope you enjoyed this episode. Until we meet again. Till we meet again. Remember, life is not short. Life is unpredictable. So always, always strive to stay happy. And add a little spice to your life. And join us again for a little chit chat and chat.